The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you're new here, my name's Chase, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and we are grateful to have you with us. A couple of things to remind you. Tonight at 6 p.m. we do have baptism. We're excited. We've got several brothers and sisters who are making public their confession of Christ as Savior and King, and we are grateful to celebrate with them. Come and, and enjoy that time, and then afterwards we'll have dessert together. Bring a dessert, come along, and, and be part of that. And then want to remind you that next week is fall back. Next week is fall back, so if you show up when you're planning to next week. You'll be 15 minutes late for the 8:15 service. <laughs> so set your clocks, fall back next week. We're going to continue in our series in Abraham. Really grateful for, for Todd, Aaron, who was here last week and showed us how the entire Bible connects back to the beginning of our series in Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to continue on in that series today. I'm a little self-conscious though. My son... Uh, is a little sarcastic, my oldest one. I'm not sure where he gets that. And he saw me this morning and said, Mom, Dad looks like the white fat Albert. And I was, what? I said, first, his sweater is red, and second, don't make me put down my donut, okay? What in the, what in the world? So I'm still trying to get my bearings of, about me today. Well, we're in... And Abraham, we're in Genesis chapter 18, last half of the chapter. Pastor Tim, a couple of weeks ago, brought us through the first half of the chapter, showed us how Abraham shows this great hospitality to these men. This week is, is really the first of just four hard weeks in the text. A really hard question today, will God do what is right? If you are a parent of small children and you have them here, you might want to mark down next week and then... Two weeks after next week. So next week and three weeks from now, um, the text for both of those weeks is PG-13. So you just need to be aware. It might be a good couple of weeks uh, for children to go to child care, November 3rd and November 17th. Will God do what is right? That is the question before us. And that's a, a really a big question is God, does God do what's right Abraham's not the only guy to ask this question in the history of the world. We want people that we know, entities we know, the God that we know, if they should be good, we want them to be good. I remember how that was expressed and came to my mind in one of the greatest films of the 1980s. Oscar-worthy performance, it had love, it had action, it had a little bit of comedy, Maybe the best film of my lifetime. Of course, I'm talking about Karate Kid 2. <laughs> the hero, Daniel LaRusso, is following his sensei, Mr. Miyagi. And in Karate Kid 1, of course, which was also amazing, yes. they, they fought, amen. I got somebody who understands film like I do, right? <laughs> they call us connoisseurs. So... In Karate Kid 1, in the valley, they're fighting for a trophy, but in Okinawa, they're fighting for life. And at the end of the movie, strangely enough, the Karate Kid is in a fight for his life. 
And as a 12-year-old boy, there was so much suspense for me in this PG movie in 1986. Is Daniel's son going to kill his enemy or is he going to let him live? Is he going to exact revenge? I kind of wanted him to. Or is he not? Will he do what is right? See, we want our heroes to do what's right. The problem is we have a real messed up sense of of justice. There was another movie when I was a kid called Rambo and we just wanted him to kill everybody. (laughs) It's an odd thing when men have moral problems with God, but Abraham is asking God a hard question. So we're going to kind of read through the text, we're going to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to come back to this question that we will see. So Genesis 18, 16, then the men set out from there. They leave this tent where Abraham and Sarah and their servants have set up this amazing feast for them. They set out from there and they look down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I just not tell Abraham and let him see fire raining down on this city that I'm about to judge? Shall I hide this from him, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So again, the writer of Genesis, Moses, reminds us what God is going to do through Abraham and his family. We've heard that over and over and over. In Genesis 12, he gets this initial call. In Genesis 15, he believes God, it's credited to him as righteousness. And God says, I'm through your family, the nations are going to know. We hear it over and over and over again. Abraham thinks the covenant's all about him. In Genesis 17, he doesn't have a child. He says, just make Ishmael the heir. No, God's going to do this through Sarah as well. So, Here's what's happening as we head towards Sodom. Really, it didn't start in Genesis chapter 12. It started in Genesis chapter 1. And we see it through the covenant with Abraham that's coming through as well. God is doing this thing that's beautiful on earth. And it's male plus female made in the image of God, together imaging God. And the nations are going to know God is going to keep his promise to Abraham. God is going to accomplish his purpose through Abraham and Sarah and their family and the love of God for his people and the power of God for his glory are something Moses wants God's people to have at the forefront of their minds all day, every day. So we hear it over and over and over. I'm going to bless the nations through you. Then verse 20 The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And their sin is very grave. I will go down and see whether, what they've done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Well, what is the outcry against Sodom? Here's what we know. The outcry is great because the sin is grave. There's a cry against Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cry is great because the sin is grave. Well, here's a, a question. Who is the outcry coming from? Got your pencils? 
I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. It could be coming from these messengers of the Lord. It could be coming from Abraham and Sarah. They could have seen what's going on or heard what's happening around their nephew Lot and his family. Is it righteous people from other cities? It could be. Is it from angelic beings? Or is it, as Romans 8 says, that all creation is groaning? and the brokenness and the sin of humanity. If you haven't have it down yet, if you don't have it down again, I don't know. But it's a great outcry. And the outcry is great because the sin is grave. And so Abraham, as he learns of this, he's concerned, verse 22 Verse 22, the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Verse 23, Abraham drew near. He draws near to God. And he asked this question, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What a question. God, if you're going to punish Sodom, what if there are righteous people there? Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Then verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God, aren't you going to do what's right? What a question. Will the judge of all the earth do what is right? He says, far be it from you. Far be it from you. It's a good question. It's a hard question. It's a question that reveals that Abraham doesn't fully understand the story or the purpose of God as he asks, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. What do you mean? Abraham hadn't read the Bible? No, he had not. It hadn't been written, right? (laughs) He doesn't know the whole story. But it's a fair question. We want our heroes to be just. Well, we're going to spend time on this question, but before we do, we're going to continue through Abraham's prayer. We're going to talk about his prayer. We're going to put a pin in the question, and we will come back to the question. Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? In verse 26, the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him again, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, O Lord, do not be angry. And I will speak, suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Lord, suppose 20 
are found there. He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O Lord, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak again just this once. Suppose 10 are found there and he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Three things about Abraham's prayer. Three things about Abraham's prayer. First thing is this, Abraham's prayer is bold. Abraham's prayer is bold. He cries out to God and reminds God of his own character like God forgot. You're the judge of all the earth. Will you not do what is right? Abraham knows. He's the God who sees. He knows he is God Almighty. God, aren't you going to do what is right? What a bold way to approach the creator of all the universe. But that's exactly the way we're told to come before him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The only way we can draw near to the throne with confidence is because of grace, because of the blood of Jesus. It's a bold thing to do, but it's not a light thing to do. And Abraham knows that. God, I'm, I'm dust and ashes. Don't be angry. But you're the judge of all the earth so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Abraham's not asking for what he deserves. It's grace and mercy that we find when we come with confidence. We're going to see later on in the text that it's grace and mercy in, a, in another text, actually. But Abraham is bold. He's bold. If you think about your prayer life, if I think about my prayer life, is bold one of the ways you would describe it? Is it one of the ways I would describe it? He's bold. Second, he's persistent. He comes to God six times. He comes six times, God, what if there are 50? You're the judge of all the earth. Aren't you going to do what's right if there are 50 righteous? Will you spare the city? Yes. Okay, what if there are 45? Then he comes again at 40, then 30, then 20, then 10. He's just persistent in his prayer. Jesus spoke about prayer this way. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He is persistent. Ask and seek and knock. How can we be persistent in prayer? And when should we pray? Who should we pray for? In the morning. In the evening. In the middle of the night, when you have need, when you're thankful, when you have sin to confess, when you're alone, when you're in small groups, when you're in large groups, when you're about to eat, when you're not about to eat. If you're going to fast, you're going to pray. For your children, for your parents, for your spouse, for your siblings, your brothers, neighbors, enemies, the nations, kings, leaders, all those in authority, the lost, the sick, the well, the saved, at all times and in every season, we're to pray and we're to be persistent in prayer. And part of our prayer might look like this, God, you're not an unjust judge, will you hear our prayer? Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Abraham asks... Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? He's really asking, God, are you a righteous judge? 
over and over and over. He asks it, and it's interesting when Jesus speaks about prayer, he speaks about this very thing, will God give justice to those who cry out to him? Luke 18, 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why is Jesus telling them the parable? So that they'll pray and not lose heart. It's important that we know the question to ask and the answer to, question, to the question. Why is he telling them this parable? So that they'll pray and not lose heart. When you read the Bible, don't be like my five and four-year-old when we're doing Bible together. In their school, a couple of days a week, they're at home, and on Fridays, it's dad's day to teach, which means my children, in part, will be poorly educated. So last week, a couple of weeks ago, we're studying the book of Ruth, and I can tell my five-year-old and my four-year-old are not paying attention, so I'm trying to help them out, but I know it's not going to go well. I look at my son, Nate, who called me fat earlier today, and I said, hey, Nate, watch this. So I look at them, and I go, what was Ruth's name after we've read the story? And they go, Jesus! What was Boaz's name? Joseph! Don't do that when you read the Bible. He told them a parable to this effect that they would always pray and not lose heart. Why? Did he tell them this? So that they would be people of prayer. Jesus wants his people to be people of prayer. It's who we're made to be. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He was unjust. There was a widow in the city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? This rhetorical question, of course he will. Will he delay long over them? No. I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find a people who are crying out to him day and night? Will he find a people who are persistent in prayer? Abraham's persistently asking, and when you think about what he's asking, he's left his family, his country, his father's house, and he's taken his nephew with him. He's taken his nephew with him, and his nephew Lot, Abraham, they, God prospered them, and they were so full of livestock, they couldn't stay together. So Abraham says, take the land you want. Lot, Lot says, I want that green and beautiful and lush land by water. I'll take that. But he doesn't know he's headed towards Sodom, where the sin is grave and the outcry against it is great. God, what if there are ten righteous there? He's, he's praying for his nephew. God, will you save my family? Will you save my family? My, my parents divorced when I was 12 years old. My dad left. I ended up living with an aunt and uncle that we had just stayed with a lot anyway. Before I came to Christ, I didn't know what was going on when my uncle was up every morning early praying and reading the Bible. Every morning I'd get up come out for breakfast and Uncle John, 
He's either praying or reading the Bible. And I'm talking simple, simple country guy. If Deweyville, Texas had a mayor, he might have been the sort of guy who could have been in it, but we didn't. Simple country guy. He believed the two most important things about a man were, did he read the Bible? What did he think about Jesus, you know? And the second was, what kind of pocket knife did he carry, right? So when I tell my daughter, if she meets a guy, the first two things you need to know is, what does he think about Jesus and what kind of pocket knife does he carry? That, that might not be, that second one might not matter. My Uncle John, just this good man, and I come to faith, and it's not till years later that I just, I connect the dots. I'm this lost teenage boy, angry at my father, running hard from the Lord. And there's my uncle praying all kinds of things, but every morning in part, God, will you save my nephew? God, will you save my nephew from his own wickedness, from his own choices? And I'm really glad God answered his prayer. God, save me. When I think about what Dave Tate will talk about next week and kind of our attitude and our mindset toward people who are, yes, walking what the Bible calls wickedness. I've heard people, I've heard them say, I just wish God would kill all those people. Well, this, maybe it's not these people, it's another group of people. Man, I, got, I wish God would just destroy all them. That's not what Abraham, God, will you save them? If they're righteous among the wicked or their people, you're calling out from among that God, would you save them? He's crying out in persistence. He's bold. He's persistent. Is there somebody you're crying out for, for God to save? And the third thing is that he's humble. He's humble. Isaiah says there, there's a sort of person I delight in. It's one who is contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. He says, I'm going to dare to speak to the Lord. I'm but dust and ashes. God, don't be angry. God, don't be angry. I'm going to dare to ask just one more time, God. He knows and understands he's speaking to the Lord. And as we see Abraham's bold, persistent, and humble prayer, what we see from the Lord is grace upon grace. Will you do what's right, God? If there are 50 righteous people, yes, I will. Yeah, if there are 50 there, what if there are 45? God, are you going to do what's right? What if there are 40 or 30 or 20 or 10? God, are you going to do what is right? Are you going to do what is right? That's the question of Abraham's prayer. And there are a few things to say about this question. And, and the first is this. It's always an odd thing when people have a moral problem with God. I don't know if, if that clicks, but it's a strange thing that we would have a moral problem with God. And we see God's grace even in that he didn't say to Abraham, well, I don't know, Abraham, when you go to Egypt, are you going to lie to them and tell them that your wife is your sister? I don't know, Abraham, are you and, are you and Sarah going to mistreat Hagar? When it's time for the promise to come, are you going to say, just make the promise through Ishmael because you don't believe I can give you a son, Isaac, who's about to be born? I mean, Sarah's pregnant by now, right? This is going to happen. But God shows him grace upon grace. It's an odd thing that we might have a moral problem with God, but people do. If God's like that, I don't know if I'm going to serve him. 
So let's answer the question, will the judge of all the earth do what's right? The answer is yes. Yes, he will. Because he is doing it. Psalm 119.68, you are good and what you do is good. By definition, if God does something, it's good. He's righteous in all of his ways. He's good. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, he will. He will. Then there's another kind of inlaid question in there. Will you let the righteous die with the wicked? And what Abraham is showing here is not does he not only does he not understand the whole story, he doesn't understand the consequences of sin. He doesn't understand the consequences of sin. Are the righteous going to die with wicked? Yet sometimes because of sin, one person's sin, others suffer. That's the truth. Sometimes because of sin, others suffer. There's consequence to sin. And sometimes it's grave. Sometimes it's grave. This week, talked to a man. This week, talked to a woman. Both of them running hard, long into awful decisions, not wanting to listen to counsel. Two separate individuals, separate circumstances, making awful choices. Well, no, I really think it's going to be okay. Honestly, listen, I, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but my kids are going to be fine. No, they're not. No, they're not. This is going to be hard to deal with for the rest of their life. Abraham doesn't and we don't understand the consequence of sin is sometimes great because the sin is grave. And we forget the holiness of God. Abraham doesn't understand what he's asking and and then he makes a category mistake. He makes a category mistake. He says, God, will you allow the righteous to die with the wicked? Well, that's a, that's a problematic question, right? God's going to give him this answer soon enough in Scripture. But it's a problematic question. And the reason it's problematic is because nobody's righteous, Right? See, Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. So there is this sense in which we're made righteous in Christ. He was made righteous beforehand in Christ, as we'll see in here a moment. Lot, who's going to do some awful things as this text continues, is called righteous in 2 Peter. But it's not righteous like God. There's none righteous. Psalm 14, there's none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3, 10 through 12 quotes that. It says there's none righteous, no, not one. Now some people will look at that and go, when Romans, he's quoting Psalms, God was really just talking about the Jews there, not about everybody. Maybe there's a righteous person somewhere, but Ecclesiastes seven twenty stops that possibility. It says there's no one on earth who always does what's right and never sins. And we're told in James 2, 10, if a man keeps the whole law, but he's guilty in one point or stumbles in one point. He's guilty of all. There's no one righteous. Psalm 53, one through three says the same thing. There's no one righteous. There's no one righteous. Now, God could have said that and he could have stopped it there, but here is the thing. God's going to do something amazing if we keep reading the story. He's going to do something amazing. God 
Will you let the righteous die right along with the wicked? Well, God just doubles it up, right? If he could speak it to Abraham then, it might have been said like this, I won't just let the righteous die with the wicked, I'll send the righteous to die for the wicked. Now, all of a sudden, this hard question becomes beautiful, doesn't it? I won't just let the righteous die with the wicked. I will send the righteous to die for the wicked. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Isaiah, while you're turning there, let me just read you a couple of verses. Will you let the righteous die along with the wicked? I will send the righteous to die for the wicked. A couple of verses from Isaiah as you turn to Romans Three, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. The Lord is going to send the righteous, Jesus, to die for the wicked. So in Romans chapter 3, this is fleshed out, what this looks like. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. We're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, God put Jesus forward, the righteous, to die for the wicked as a propitiation by his blood. Now, what in the world does propitiation mean? In Deweyville, Texas, that's $100 for that word, right? I don't have 100 bucks for a $100 word. At TBC, we might call that a Bob Weber word, right? It's this real big word. What is propitiation? It, it means that God has made us favorable with himself through the death of Jesus. He's appeased God's wrath. It refers to averting God's wrath against sinners. God set Jesus forward to avert His wrath against sin. It's the act that appeased the total and full wrath of God's judgment for the sins of human beings that all belonged on us. Because of the appeasement's completeness, propitiation is also understood as satisfaction or very similar to another $100 word, expiation, that Jesus took the punishment for our sin. He appeased or satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. Let's keep going in Romans 25 though, because when I hear this, I think, oh, God's so loving. He's so loving and he is but this also was to show that God is just. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Why? This was to show God's righteousness or to show God's justice. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God had forgiven and credited Righteous people like Abraham and Lot who are great sinners. 
And now God forgives people like Chase who are great sinners because Jesus was set forward as a propitiation to show God's righteousness. John Piper describes it like this. Say an awful human being is coming in the Temple, Texas. He's driving south on I-35. He pulls into a neighborhood. He kills five families gets back in his car, keeps driving, he's caught, it's clear that he's guilty. He goes before the judge, the judge says, you're guilty, now you can go free. We don't like that judge, right? No, unless you are a murderer, please shake your head no, right? We don't like that judge. God had forgiven sins. He's holy. He's got to prove himself just. So Jesus died to show that God is actually just, that he is going to punish sin, but he's so loving that the sin punishment comes on his son. So when we ask the question, will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? You want to see what the righteousness of God looks like. It looks like his son hanging on a tree, naked, bleeding, his back torn apart with his mama and his friends watching it. Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Yes. Yes, he actually will. He actually will. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. To bring us to God. See, Abraham gets his question answered in the story that he's part of. It's just answered fully long after he dies. The story's not actually about him. It's about God, the promise keeper, and the purpose accomplisher. The judge of all the earth will do what's right, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find people who are bold, persistent, and humble? crying out to the Lord day and night. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? I hope the answer at Temple Bible Church is yes. Because God is righteous and He has done what's right and He's made a way that we will be a people of prayer who are crying out, God, save the wicked. God, save the wicked because you save the wicked like me. Let's pray. God, you are not an unjust judge. You do what's right. And so we give you praise. And God, I know there are people in this room like me that they've got family members that they desperately want to know Jesus. So God, would you save them? God, would you send us with love and with humility and persistence as witnesses to those that we know that need our Jesus. God, would you send others that we might not even be aware of, God, to those that we know that need our Jesus. And God, we, we know you sent the righteous to die on behalf of the wicked. So God, would you, like you've done in our lives, would you make the wicked righteous in Christ? God, hear our prayer. 
amaze us, God, by your grace and the lives of those we love. We know you love them more than we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you're dismissed.